last week we talked about a nasty S in church. We're going to pray first. We definitely need prayer. If we need a prayer for submission, we need prayer for this too. So, Father, thank you for our time together. And, Lord, uh, I just want to thank you for who you are and what you continue to do in our lives. Father God, you continue to transform everyone in this class. And, Lord, I'm thankful for the transformation that uh, you're, you're doing in Gene and I as well. Uh, because we never are in a position until we are fully transformed by you in heaven. We are never in a position where we have it all there. And so, Lord, we just pray that you continue to mold our hearts, mold our attitudes, mold our will, and mold our actions as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You... Yes, on the correct side. Correct. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're doing the four wills of God. Mm-hmm. Last week, we actually had a new person. And as soon as we tar- started talking about submission and the fact that positionally, I am submissive to my husband. Relationally, I am not. Um, they left. <laughs> so we scare people off by things yeah. we teach here. Hopefully we won't scare you off by talking about sex today. The nasty S words of church. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we have, we have, okay, can I, can I, can I share the confusion with the, the group name? Okay, so the, many of you guys know that the small groups that we have, the small couple groups, we call it intimate encounters. Okay, well, apparently we call them IE groups, intimate encounters group, because that's the book and the material that we use. And developing a more intimate relationship. People think it's about? Sex. Oh. Now Sue's interested. (laughs) A church that has sex groups, okay. Um, No, the church does not have sex groups. Um, The names will be changing. Um, But for today, we're talking about sex. Yeah, okay. And more specifically, we're going to talk about what the fourth will addressed by Dr. Egrich's. And it's abstain from sexual sin. First Thessalonians. Remember the first ones. Well, we'll let's do this first. Okay. First Thessalonians 4.3. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. And in case you forgot the first three, the first one was his will that we believe in Christ. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him shall have eternal life. That's John 6.40. The second will he discussed is that we give thanks in everything. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Remember, we're not talking about being thankful for the circumstances. We're talking about being thankful in all circumstances. I'm not thankful that Jean is struggling with the asthma with which she suffers. But we can still be thankful in that. Friends of ours lost their house in the Paradise Fire. And um, they actually had a a trailer. So one took the trailer, one took the car. Because one took the trailer, they couldn't go on the same road. The trailer was actually diverted, I mean, by people that were doing that. Um, They didn't know how the other one was doing. You know, flames licking at the car, paint bubbling on the car, all right? escaping and left with nothing other than what was in the trailer. No underwear, no papers, no heirlooms, no, okay, 
very, very thankful because it's like, oh my gosh, we have the trailer. Oh my gosh, we have our life. You know? Um, the tent community that there was Walmart and Chico and their parking lot and the field um, has been kind of a impromptu refugee center, if you want to call it that. And the tent community um, is actually being disbanded because the weather coming on, it's not healthy for people to stay there. But people are like, I'm so grateful for this community because we're together, people that have had this shared experience. You know? And you want to talk about thankfulness in trying times. People that have lost so much, grateful for what? Not for their things, not just only for their lives, but for the relationships. And ultimately, that really, that's what it's about. Remember, we keep coming back in this class. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, love your neighbors as yourself. If we're not doing that, if we're not doing as Pastor said upstairs, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our breath. Okay. And then the third one is submit and doing right. First Peter two thirteen through fifteen. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives, marked by submission, should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. We talked about submission in many different contexts. We talked about it in the context of a marriage. We talked about it in the context of employment. We even talked about it in in the context of the political environment in which this nation is is now entrenched. And especially with the elections going on and the election, you know, the midterm elections and everything else, how the how the dynamics have changed. Okay, it's important that we continue to be submissive in all those things. Now, today we're going to be talking about abstaining from sexual sin. And what's interesting is that in in the very first couple, uh, when he was introducing this topic, Dr. Eggerich talked about something that actually can apply to all four wills. And he talked about the term rationalize. Let's think about the four wills that we've discussed. Believe in Christ, his will that we give thanks in everything, submit in doing right, and abstaining from sexual sin. Think about any four of those. I know that at some point we have probably violated at least two of those. So the question I have is, what was your excuse? Was your excuse you did not know God? Was your excuse that you did not know God's word? What was your excuse for violating those? Because that's our rationalization. I believe in Jesus, but at the same time, I'm a sinner. That's why I screw up all the time. That's a rationalization. Because you know what the word says? I'm a new creation. Christ is in me. I am in Christ. I can't be free from sin. The Bible doesn't define me as a sinner anymore. Once I've accepted Christ as my Savior, 
He is in me, I am in him, period. So do we use that as an excuse to not be fully submissive and press in so that the power that lives within us can actually come forth and help us? Is that the excuse for pressing down? Because Second Peter does say, we have within us the divine power to live godly lives. We have that. It's in us. So if we're not doing that, what's going on? Why are we subverting that? What's our excuse for that? Why are we rationalizing it away? I have just lost a job, have little money for retirement, and I'm so old that no one will hire me. What have I got to be thankful about? There you go. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. Yeah, we've heard that. I don't want to be. How do you think that? If life is so awful, things suck all the time. My husband, my wife, isn't what I want them to be. My kids aren't where I want them to be. I'm fighting with all the creditors. Every day I turn around. I don't want to be around. Look at how much suffering there is in the world. I've got nothing to be thankful for. It's like... Um, the mind is such a... It's such an interesting thing in there. There's little itty bitty teeny little spots that think they have control over everything we are and everything we do. It's called the amygdala. Okay. It's the thing that is like the fire alarm for the brain. And when we hear whatever, okay, and we get triggered, that amygdala starts screaming starts throwing all these hormones out and takes our brain down these pathways that we've quite frankly trained it to go down okay um, now whether that training was imposed on us or self-imposed and we think I have no control it's just the way I think it's the way my mind is that's a bunch of baloney that's right that's it's called a bunch of baloney it's rationalizing okay it's it's rationalizing now, I am not discounting that we all have brain chemistry, okay? Um, personally, I have um, issues with my thyroid, okay? Medication with my thyroid. The thyroid has some hormones that if those hormones aren't regulated, then I do become more um, anxious. I do become more depressed, okay? So I need that medication to help keep those hormones in balance. At the same time, the thoughts that I put into my brain, okay, my own self-worth, my uh, my opinion on, you know, well, Ron's always traveling, so therefore, you know, he must not love me. No, he loves me. That's why he's traveling to try to earn enough to put it over our head. Okay, changing thoughts, you know, changing thoughts changes the chemicals in my brain. I have control over that amygdala. Right? That instant 
that happens, all right, and we've all been this way, right? You come across the you know proverbial um, hose in the driveway and you think it's a snake and you freak out, right? It's like, and then you realize, oh, it's not a snake, right? It's like, oh, okay, it's not a snake. I can calm down, all right? We can learn to be thankful. We can learn to look at things from a different perspective. If someone's going through something though, you know, sweetie, I know you just lost everything in your house. I know that you lost, you know, just your identity, your job, it all burned up, okay? I'm really sorry, but you've got to understand that people are being tortured for their faith, so there's other people that have it worse than you, so you'll be okay. Wow. Oh, that's really helpful, isn't it? Okay, but we do that, and we do that also to ourselves because what we do when we're going through those times when we're having a hard time being thankful we listen to statements like that that have been said to us or said around us and we start condemning ourselves because we don't have a heart full of gratitude gotta understand it's okay to be in a negative emotional space and still give thanks to the Lord does that make sense? Yes. Because when we follow what he asks us to do, a wise teacher once said, it's better to um, think a new way of feeling than feel a new way of thinking. Okay, It's easier to think a new way into feeling than feel a new way into thinking. When we come across that snake and we get freaked out, all right, it still takes a minute or two for our heart rate to calm down. Our body has to catch up to what we're transforming our brain. Does that make sense? So we're asking to do these things in spite of how we feel. It's not being hypocritical, it's obeying the word of the Lord. I am convinced that if I carried a weapon full-time, there'd be a lot of rubber hoses with a lot of holes in them. Because yeah. I wouldn't even think twice. It just, bah, bah, bah. oh, rubber hose? Okay. I really appreciate what Gene said. I remember going to a uh, funeral home one time uh, where there was a uh, person who was, you know, we're, we're paying our respects. They were laid out. And the visitor book, lovely scripture at the bottom. All things work together for good. Seriously, come on. One of the things, if you if you know me, if you know Jean and I, what Jean did right there, she's speaking truth, right? But it wasn't helping me very much, was it? And that's the same thing people use scripture for. I call it scriptural cheerleading. Leave the cheerleading to the football games. Okay? That's where it belongs. We do not cheer people on when they're going through emotional distress by pointing out scriptures to them, it, truth comes later. What comes first is a relationship. What comes first is being in a good relationship with God so that we can love God and then loving someone else. Pastor talked about it. Jesus loved people. The woman at the well, he entered into a relationship with her before he gave her truth. Okay? You okay? <coughs> so we're still talking about rationalization. His decision was stupid. 
I don't care if he's my boss. I know better, so I did it my way. Oh, I said that. I know I've said I know other people in here have said that. That's rationalization. That's giving a reason for why I'm not going to submit when truth when the truth is I should be submitting. Now, think about that word rationalize. Now divide it into two words. Rational lies. Because in fact, that's what they are. We just run it together and, and we say that's the reason. But if we pull that word apart, they are rational, but they are lies. They go contrary, contrary, con, blah, blah, blah. Contrary. 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 <laughs> contrary to truth. Okay? So what rational lies are we believing about sexuality? Look at this. really quiet. <laughs> it got really quiet. What is going on in society? 52? It's only 52? I thought we were up 30. to 53 as a result of no, today. No, I thought it was 30-something. Before, so now it's 52. Yeah. You can take 53 from now. They're all made up, so pick a number. A rational lie. Yeah. Rationalize. I, I visited G. I, uh, when I'm in town, I, I do travel a lot, especially lately. And uh, But when I'm in town, I like to have lunch with Jean. I go to her school and have lunch. And, um, you know, they have restrooms and they become all gender restrooms now. And I told Jean that to tell her boss, I want a litter box <laughs> in the main room because someday I'm going to identify as a cat and I'm going to have to use the restroom. Some cats use the toilet. <laughs> Some do. But what we're talking about is people have made excuses. People have made excuses. And this area of sexuality in our culture has seen the most rationalization or the most rational lies. And the reason it's happening is because people don't want to feel conviction for what, what they're feeling. And they're making a reason why it's okay. And as a culture, we are so afraid of offending people that we are also telling them it's okay. Now, when we think about it, it's kind of like, let's look at, let's ask this question. Does our faith determine our sexual behavior or does our sexual behavior determine our faith? Our faith determine, should determine our sexual behavior. That is the right answer for that, the church. That is the right answer for the church. But that's not, that's not what happens. Our sexual behavior determines our faith. What is the first thing people who are having affairs tend to do? 
if they're churchgoers. They isolate themselves from the body. They stop going to church. Studies have demonstrated that for the most part, people who have affairs, one of the first things they say if, they're, if, they're, if they go to church, I don't believe in God anymore. God, God, God wouldn't. Well, God, if God, if there was a God and if He loved me, then He would let me do this, and He would not have connected me with that. There you go. Because He understands that I chose wrong, Uh and that this other person really loved me. Oh no, no, it's not that I choose wrong. I chose what's best for me. Yeah, but even, even, there's here's a good here's a good no. There are no good rational lies. Here's a rational lie. God wouldn't want me to live in this emotional void. I'm not getting my emotional needs met. God doesn't I'm want me to I'm not getting my sexual that. needs met. I'm not happy. God wants me to be happy. That's true, but God wants you to be holy first. And keep in mind that when you say I do, even if it was... Even if God told you time and time again, don't marry that person, and you go ahead and do that, as soon as you said, I do, guess what happened in God's eyes? That marriage turned into plan A. It may have been plan W, but it is now plan A. And the reason God may have said no over and over and over again is because he was trying to save you from pain that he knew would happen. He was trying to protect us. That's why God says no. God doesn't say no to be a cosmic killjoy. God says no because he is trying to protect us. And so what ends up happening is, you say I do, guess what? That turns into plan A. And here's God's promise. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. So he's going to be there to allow this marriage to be the fulfillment of everything that he has called a relationship to be. That's what he's doing in that moment. We've talked about, you know, lots of people are divorced, okay, and remarried. Mm-hmm. This isn't about guilt. It isn't about nope. staying in an abusive relationship. It's not about um, denying the real struggles that we have in relationship, but it's recognizing that God's principles, regardless of where you are now, and what your past was, God's principles stand true today. So you have to begin from today, following God's principles. If you've chosen in the past not to, it's okay. God is a loving God. He's a redeemer. He's a reconciler. He is one that brings us above and beyond. And all he wants from us is the best at wherever we're at. Okay? So he's not going to, you know, punish us for the rest of our life. For making a poor decision that's not our loving God. There may be some consequences, okay, of some of the choices that we made in the past that we may have to deal with, and we've talked about that. Consequences is negative or positive, right? But we have to begin where we are today. So getting back to that, does our faith determine our sexual behavior? Does our sexual behavior determine our faith? I remember sitting in a Bible study when we were first Christians, and they talked about kings. The, the kings of Israel. Here's, here's what I still remember. Saul, no heart. David, whole heart. Solomon, half heart. Saul, no heart. He had no heart really toward God. No heart toward God. David, whole heart. The adulterer. The adulterer. 
Solomon had heart. Because what happened? He started out well, didn't he? Solomon, what would you like? I'll give you anything you like. I want wisdom. He was known as the wisest man in all of history. What happened? His kingdom, his kingdom fell in disgrace. The kingdom of Israel broke into two at the end of Solomon's reign. What happened? <coughs> what happened was in the latter part of his reign, he married and had sexual relationships with idolatrous foreign women, and uh, it was a lot of them. And basically what ended up happening is they drew his heart away from God. There is a direct correlation between our sexual behavior and our faith. And we can be drawn away, we can be lured away from our belief in Christ. We can be doing all those other three wills very well. But if we're not diligent about our sexuality, we can be drawn away. Statistics. Now, mind you, these are statistics from secular. Okay. Um, some of them were taken from like Psychology Today yeah. and stuff like that. But here's some statistics of Americans who regularly attend religious services. 23% say they are unsure whether living together outside of marriage is immoral. 21% don't know what uh, what they think about casual, no-strings-attached sex. 25 aren't willing to condemn pornography. Nine, That's in a church. Okay. 90% of couples engage in premarital sex. 40% of the children born are to unwed parents. Couples who had other partners reported less marital satisfaction than those who were only with their spouses before marriage. One study looked at college students having casual sex, which is knowing someone less than a week. 18.4% were men and 7.4% were women. People who did this had higher psychological distress, and interestingly, there were no gender differences. We often think, you know, guys are just you know, out for the party in the one night stand and the women are the ones that are emotionally um, you know, distraught by those circumstances. In this particular study, there was no, and this study was done like 30,000 people yeah. um, across seven or eight different colleges, um, state colleges, states, I should say. Um, <clears throat> people who had this had higher psychological distress, men or women. Um, so there was no difference between the men and the women. Women weren't more inclined to this than men. Men and women were both were. Um, one of the studies that Ron didn't include in our outline, there was, there was a, a lot of people signed an abstinence pact in high school, ninth grade. I'm going to stay absent. And the first year, they followed these people that signed this abstinence pact every six months for two years. Um, Six months mark, the people that stayed true to the pact were doing okay. By the end of the two years, um, they felt alienated, they felt withdrawn, they felt shamed because they were still abstinent. Because everybody's doing it, what's wrong with you? You know, um, I hear time and again from my non-believing um, 
friends and coworkers and whatnot, um, even family members, I'd rather they live together and test out the relationship before they get married. Okay, And I hate to say it, there's a lot of people, even in this church, let alone the church as a whole body, that are living together to test out the relationship before they get married. It's a rational lie. We talk about so many young people leaving the church. Could this be one of the reasons why? We talk about the church being relevant, but are they being drawn away by society and how society views sexuality? Because those that were raised in the church know this teaching. And when their behavior does not line up with the teaching, what are they going to do? They're going to gravitate gravitate towards someone who will who they believe will accept them. Okay. And maybe that's why there's so many young people leaving the church. Okay. Elaine? It was interesting. I was having a discussion with a friend, close friend, and she's Catholic. And she was venting to me, and I allowed her to vent about her daughter, um, who was engaged in fornication. So she was venting about, she felt her sister was judging her. And I just listened and listened until she started rationalizing, and she said, well, the Bible might talk about fornication. <clears throat> Jesus never really said it was wrong over my you know, and I wasn't going to say anything, and then I'm like, I can't let her get away. I just can't let her get away with that one, you know. So immediately as she's talking, I'm looking up scriptures, you know, where, you know, fornication is sin. And I'm just like, okay, so now we're going to pick and choose, you know, well, I'm reading the Bible, this is okay. But I'm questioning this now because my daughter's engaged in it, you know. And I just thought that was interesting how quickly because she wanted to defend her daughter so badly that she was minimizing scriptures and taking away the context of what the scriptures had. Thank you for bringing that. You know, when we first introduced that we were going to do this study with um, Emerson, um, Sue, you said, well, why sexual sin? There's so many other sins. You know, remember when we very first introduced the four four wills of God? You know, why did he choose that one? Okay, there are a million sins that we can commit, okay? But sexual sin is really the only one that touches at the same time our physical, our mental, and our spiritual. And in fact, it was sex was designed to touch all three. That's what that's how God created it. It's supposed that. to be a good way. In a good way. But because it was supposed it. to model the the Trinity, David. Um, I was just saying, I had read a survey uh, not too long ago of <coughs> Christian colleges. And mm-hmm. the students there did not have, have gone to the point now where they've separated, almost compartmentalized their Christianity versus their sexual relationships. And they no longer, it was, I want to say the percentage was 70%. So it was a really, I was astonished by the number. Um, that don't believe scripture is relevant over their current sexual lives. Um, and that was at a Christian college, those were all Christian colleges. So they've gone so far now as that now they've pulled it out and said, well, I'm a Christian, I do all these things, but this doesn't have anything to do with that. Right. Okay. Which well, that's also crazy. like um, uh, homosexuals that are Christians say similar 
things and going to churches that accept them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think that's the whole thing, though. Why do we have to have it where I have to go to a church where they accept my behavior? Because we can accept a person without accepting their behavior. Well, we don't. But we don't. We don't. That's the problem. But a, a few things, so. But from the homosexual uh, point of view, my lifestyle is me. Mm -hmm. So if you you cannot accept me and not accept my lifestyle. Right. So we look at it from one standpoint, yeah. but they don't look at it from that standpoint. Yeah. So that's just that thing. The other thing is that, um, and I think it's Corinthians, Paul says that in terms of sexual immorality, he says every other sin, right, is created mm -hmm. outside the body. Yep. Sexual immorality is only yeah, sin exactly. that is against the body. Yep. So when you look at sin, and that's why sexual immorality is such a powerful sin because Paul says, I mean, you can do any other kind of sin, and you're talking about murder, everything else. But Paul says sexual immorality, right, is the only sin that's against the body. So he separates yeah. every other sin from that one sin. Yeah. And that's why it's the biggie. Yeah. I don't think we understand. I don't even think I understand the power of that, you know, well, I mean, it's, well, the power is so strong that scripture says run fast. Yeah. Run fast and run hard. And I don't think it's the only sin that affects the body because even though it's like technically that's a whole thing, it, when I'm overindulging in food, that's affecting my body. That's sure. Involving is. My body. When I'm overindulging in alcohol, if I'm taking drugs, that's involving my body. I think the thing that separates sexual sin from other sins is it involves our spirit, yeah. our personal mm -hmm. being. Mm -hmm. That's what it was created for is emerging to spirit and spiritual yeah. It's not so much like our body, it's that the body is the, the vehicle. But I think that that's what, when Paul said that, that's exactly what Paul was talking about. Yeah. Because sexual sin is spiritual cancer. Yep. Right. So even though you may you may overindulge, right, and that may affect your body, right. But as Ron said, it's the only sin that affects you in all three ways, right? Right. And so again, I think that one of the things that we have to do is part of this rationalization is that we don't take it as seriously as God says, right? Because if that was the case. We'd watch what we watched. We'd watch where we went. We'd watch who, what we talked about. Because sexual immorality goes so much deeper than that, mm -hmm. right? It's why a Christian man can have a swimsuit issue on his table and not even think about it, right? He doesn't think that's sexual immorality, but it is, right? It is. That's exactly what it is. And so we have to be extremely, extremely cautious with this and we have to take it as seriously as anything that we take it in our Christian faith because it has the ability to destroy. If we the, the, the statistics of Ron and Jean Gay, 68% of the men in church right, have watched pornography in the last week. 40% of women in the church Bible believing church have watched pornography in the last week. 
right? We're just talking about porn. We have not talked about sexual fantasy. We haven't talked about romanticizing. We haven't even talked about that. We haven't talked about the Harlequin novels. Right. So what I'm saying is what's even happened in our society is we have gotten so desensitized, so desensitized, that things that we're looking at now that we shouldn't even be looking at, we don't even pick up on it. Look at look at look at the TVs and the Victoria's Secret lingerie commercials that come on. All right, maybe it's not Victoria's Secret. Maybe it's the Hanes, male underwear. Okay, I mean it's it's okay. I think we're just desensitized. It's totally that way. Numbs you out. You're numbed out. We're okay. But who isn't desensitized? That's the issue. Because as adults, we become desensitized to it. It's not to say we're not drawn into it. But who's not desensitized yet? Mm -hmm. The kids. I don't know. They're getting pretty close. Look at the stuff well, they're watching. I, well, look at the stuff. But that's the issue because they have been drawn into it. Teddy? I was just going to say that uh, when you think of sex, when we're talking about sexual activity or sex or gender, I mean, let's not. That was the bedrock of, of how God created humanity. Yeah. That is the power he gave us to create our families, yeah. our societies. So you twist and warp that one thing, and you just spread like wildfire Satan's will on this planet and remove God's protective covering over but at this from the beginning. I mean, this is just... And how we also distort that is, well, and this is to be blunt, you know, it's, well, we didn't have intercourse. Right? Mm -hmm. they, there was not a joining together of those two parts. All right? So therefore, it wasn't fascination. Rational? You know? You know, it, it, it wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't a triple X site. I mean, it was just a movie on HBO. Mm -hmm. But, here, but here's, the, here's the thing. This is how far we desensitize, right? So Jesus talked about, he said, you've heard it said, mm -hmm. right? that if you had sex with a woman, that you committed adultery. I say to you, if you looked at her, right, right with, with that thought in your mind, you've already committed it, yeah. right? So how high now is the bar? That's high. The yeah. bar is extremely high. Mm -hmm. So that's why when I talk to men, they go, oh, well, you know, I don't do porn. I said, yeah, but I know what? I know you sexually fantasize. Mm -hmm. I know you lust, right? And according to Jesus' word, you may as well have slept with him. Because he's equating it. But see, in our society, we go, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There's a real big difference between me sleeping with my neighbor and me fantasizing about sleeping with my neighbor. And Jesus is saying, no. No, there's not. There's, there's not, not a difference at all. See, but so now, are we willing to hold ourselves up to that high standard? What we rationalize. We rational lives. Exactly. Why we can't and line. why we don't. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. That's where it all starts. That's, right. that's yeah. where it all starts. Yeah. It's even in anything, pornography and anything it else, it thought. starts here. I agree. That's right. what I was talking so, about earlier. Exactly. That, so Jesus goes right to the right. core. Right. It's right, right here. Here. If this is not, if you haven't yeah, dealt with this, right. if you haven't started working with yeah. this, right? Yeah. And that's why, you know, I talked a minute ago, well, you know, you can do this and you can do that. Yeah, that's all fine and good. You can put covenant eyes on and you can decide not to watch this and you can decide not to go here, yeah. right? But let's not fool ourselves by saying what's really going on is here. Exactly. Now, let's wait, try, wait, let's wait, try wait, something. Just, Hold on. Just, let's I'm, try I'm, something. Stop, 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 stop. Stop, 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 st
I, I here's what I want. And I want you to raise your hand as soon as you stop thinking about the number nine. Okay. Now, don't think about the number nine. Don't think about the number nine. And as soon as you stop thinking about the number nine, I want you to raise your hand. I already did. I put six in question. There you go. <laughs> what does, yeah, it's, what have no, we shared? Not if you're focusing on the number nine. Yeah. Don Marie replaced it with six. She flipped it upside down. That's what you have to do. That's I did the only way. I was not a youth ministry for like, you know, straight family, like 14, 15, 16 years. Um, and uh, I think the other problem is we also teach people, we just say, oh, the Bible says not sex. That's actually not what the Bible says at all. The Bible nope. says don't commit sexual immorality, like we're talking about, yeah. wash your mind. And so we tell our kids, that, I think a lot of that lie comes when we tell our kids, we just don't have sex. Well, no. The word sexual morality means any act of yep. any kind outside the context exactly. of the marriage covenant. Yep. Um, and so if we participate in any type of sexual yeah. behavior outside of marriage covenant, that is sexual morality. That's the actual Greek definition yeah. when you begin to study and do the research. And so when we tell people that it starts at a young age, even people involved in church, then when they get older, they're like, well, hey, I didn't have sex, so I'm good. Like, God's okay with it. But the problem was they did have sex right. because they had committed sexual morality through different acts. And you see, yeah. you, know, you know the list, I don't need to go through it. But that's also part of the problem is that it's not just the mind thing. It's also understanding that every action yeah. that we do outside of covenant marriage. Right. And then we also, I think, forget, and I'll finish this, forget to celebrate how wonderful the gift is in the context of marriage. Like, it's not like God saying, no, 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 no. He's saying, Yes, in the right context. Yes, in the right context. Enjoy the marriage bed is under cloud. Enjoy. But the problem is, we just think about the negative thing, like how you were even mentioning, like, oh, I'm trapped. But no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you're blessed in the right context, but you got to be focused on that context. And that's part of the whole thing. And thank you for bringing it out because, you know, just like last week we talked about the nasty S word submission. This week we're talking about the nasty S word sex. All right. Oh, there's two in a row. When we're talking about this topic, how do we talk about it at home? How do we talk about it with our family? Do we talk about it, like Pastor Jason was saying, as an honoring way? You know, and, and do we show appropriate sexual relationship in front of our children? Or do we, oh no, we can't do anything sexual because, you know, that's only reserved. And this way the kids have no clue. Yeah. Because we're not talking about it in our home. That's why they say, ugh, when they see it. Okay, I mean, I am a public school. <laughs> yeah, we we had we we had a young lady, we had a young lady living with us uh, for for about a year, and recently we got a uh, card from her, missing you, and on the card was an old couple. I mean, we were talking seventies and eighties, in the kitchen dancing in their underwear. And she wrote inside the card, this was what I was always afraid of coming home. <laughs> she was always afraid of, she was going to see us in the kitchen dancing in our underwear. But you know what? Healthy affection and children seeing healthy affection between a mother and a father is a good thing. And talking about and it. And talking about it. My, I still remember, I was going away to college at 19. I, I lived at home for the first year. And I, I still remember, I'm getting ready to leave, packing my bags. And my stepdad comes in, and he had to be drunk to even tell me. 
And at 19, I finally got the birds and the bees talk. And I didn't want to share with him that pornography had done that for me a long time ago. Actually, it was his pornography yeah. that had done that. It was his father's pornography that he found. That I found. And that did that. And for a long time, I carried that. God freed me from that. Paul talks about be a living sacrifice. By what? The renewing of our mind. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That's what Joe was talking about. That's what Gene was talking about. We're going to wrap up. We have a lot more to talk about with respect to this topic. We knew we wouldn't get through the full outline. We never do. Okay? So we are, we're going to finish up not next week because we want you to enjoy the Thanksgiving weekend. We hope, and our prayer is, that you will be in a position where you can truly be thankful no matter what the circumstances are going on in your family, in your life, what's going on. That in, in these moments you can be truly thankful for the relationships that God has put into your path. Pastor John talks about loving God, loving people. Okay, Loving God, loving people. If you've got no one to share Thanksgiving with, open your home and order McDonald's chicken nuggets. It works. It's not the food. It's the fellowship. Exactly. You know? Huh? They open on Thanksgiving? Yeah, I think they are. Wendy's <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine, too. Wow. That's fine, too. But half the time when we're feeling alone, we think that we're the only ones feeling alone. Ask the Lord to put someone on your heart and reach out to them. And... You know, be so bold as to bite yourself over as well. You know, that might work too. Yeah, and if a name comes to mind after you pray that prayer and you wonder why that name came to your mind, be confident that God put it there because if you had to ask that question, God, why did I think of that person? <laughs> Obviously wasn't you. <laughs> actually, I'm going to put another plug in. We're going to be out, actually out of the state for this Thanksgiving. But if you have nothing to do on Thanksgiving, all right, no one to be with, for sure, get down to the Thanksgiving turkey trot. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of good people there. You might meet someone that you can go home with as well. All right? In a healthy manner. Domery, <laughs> come on! <laughs> All right. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. You're a great and wonderful God. And we are so grateful that when you say no, it's for our good. And Lord, we've been talking about sexual relationships today, and we're introducing that topic. And, and as, pa as Pastor Jason said, you didn't say no to sex. You just said yes to sex in the right context. Lord, we, as a society, we have a lot of work to do. I mean, we have distorted your word. We've distorted, as Teddy talked about, the very foundation of how you created humanity. And society is trying to distort that and rip that root out. And Lord, we have to come against that. We have to come against that. And we do so by demonstrating what you have called for in relationships. We do that by actively demonstrating that. The loving of your Father and then the loving of one another. 
So, Lord, help us. Your word says that you have given us everything we already need to live these godly lives. So, Lord, help us to walk in you as you have walked in us. And, Lord, as we go through this Thanksgiving week, put it upon our hearts, Father God, to reach out to those, Father God, that, that you would like to see touched this week. And, Father God, for the fires and everybody impacted by the fires, Father God, we pray for them. Lord, you know, you can restore what the locusts have eaten up in days. You've created the world in six days. Father God, you can renew hearts. You can renew minds. You can give people hope. Help put people in their path to be your hands and feet to give them that hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much, and we will see you in two weeks. And remember to call Maria Elena.